Hello there. Welcome to the show. When I was on my surgery rotation, there was a trauma surgeon that told me the best way to learn is to be quizzed. And then he proceeded to ask me to describe hyperkalemia to him, which didn't go over very well because I had no idea like what he wanted me to give him. But he did make a good point that testing is an excellent way to learn. So I'm on my internal medicine sub-I this month, and I had the pleasure of walking into Morning Report 20 minutes late because I was in the process of seeing a new patient. We were on call that day, and I uh, so I walked in, and unfortunately, the door that I went through was in the front of the room that they were using for the presentation. So I walked in, and I sat down. And I wasn't really sure what they were talking about. I knew they were talking about the heart because I could see on the board. And the resident who was giving the presentation put an EKG up on the PowerPoint and said, would anyone like to read this EKG for me? And there was like 30 people in the room, probably half students and then half residents with a few attendings sprinkled in. So one of the attendings who was writing on the board the patient presentation that the resident had kind of been giving uh, turned around and he looked at me and said, Hayden, why don't you present this, uh, read this EKG for us? Now I have to give a caveat. I haven't read an EKG in quite a while because I guess this is, you can take this as an excuse. I, I'll, I, this is an excuse 100%. I really only read them on internal medicine and internal medicine was my first rotation. So about a year ago. And for step two, you don't need to read the EKGs as systematically because basically there's a certain number of things that they're going to ask you on step two. So you just have to know how to recognize a few arrhythmias. So you don't have to go through the systematic like method of interpreting an EKG. So needless to say, I absolutely embarrassed myself in front of about 30 to 40 people stumbling through an attempt to interpret the EKG. I basically got the rate, which is how fast the heart is beating and the rhythm. And that's pretty much all I got, which is pretty embarrassing considering that I am going into internal medicine and I should know how to interpret an EKG pretty well. So I decided that today I would discuss a little bit about interpreting an EKG just so I could kind of cement this in my head. Now I have talked about EKGs before, but I figured this would be a shorter episode, maybe around 10 minutes. I think I'd like to do 10 minute medical episodes, maybe once weekly. I don't know. I talk about a lot of stuff and I have plans to do a lot of things and I don't end up doing half of it. So take this with a grain of salt. But your heart works by a variety of electrical impulses that fire and cause your heart to beat. And the electrocardiogram or ECG, EKG, is a way for us to take a picture of that electrical activity to see which portions of the heart are beating properly and if there are certain issues with the heart. So for the classic example, a heart attack, you'd see different changes to the EKG depending on the heart attack or depending on the type of heart attack. So there is a systematic way to go through the EKG. The EKG has nine leads. 
and they all measure the electrical impulse of the heart from one sort of angle of your heart. So the first thing that you do is you look at the rate, and what you do is you look at the bottom strip is generally a long 10-second strip of V1. V1 just signifying where on the chest that lead is. And on that bottom strip, you count the number of QRS segments, which the QRS segments are the when the ventricles contract, and then you multiply that by 6. And then you should get the heart rate, because you're counting how many times the heart beat in 10 seconds, one minute is 60 seconds, so you multiply it by 10, and then you get the heart rate. So for example, if you counted 15 QRS segments, then you would multiply that by 6 and get 90, so the patient's heart rate would be 90. The next thing that you do is, or there's other ways that you can do it, but I think that's the easiest way to do it. And generally, when you print out an EKG, it tells you the rate on there, so you can count and check if you want to, but that's something that you can kind of easily get. The next thing you do is you determine the rhythm, and you look at the P to P intervals and the R to R intervals. I've talked about EKGs before, but if you don't know, this is very confusing, so if you just want to stop listening, that makes a lot of sense. But the P wave on an EKG represents the atria contraction, or the atria depolarization. So that's the when the blood is moving from the right and left atrium into the left ventricle and the right ventricle. And you get a little bump right before you get to the QRS complex. The QRS complex is the big kind of spiky wave that you see on all the tattoos that everyone has. And that signifies the ventricles contracting. So to determine the rhythm and whether or not it's regular, you look at the distance between the P intervals, and then you make sure that that distance is consistent as you look down the V1 lead. And then you do the same with the R intervals. And that just tells you that the heart is beating at the right rhythm consistently all the time. The next thing you do is you evaluate the P wave. So remember I said the P wave is the atrial depolarization. So you want to first check if there are P waves present. If they're not there, then generally that's going to be AFib, which I'm not going to talk about arrhythmias today. I think I've talked about them previously, but you want to make sure that there is a P wave that is followed by a QRS. So you want to make sure that the atria is depolarizing and then the ventricles are contracting. You want to make sure they have normal configuration, they have similar sizes, and then is there one P wave for every QRS? Next, you want to determine the duration of the PR intervals, and this can get kind of confusing. You count, so the EKG is sort of on uh, grid paper, and you count the number of tiny little squares between the P and the R, and then you multiply it by 0 0.04. So that's the, that's the number, that's the amount of seconds between that each square represents. So a normal PR interval will be between 0.12 and 0.20. So if you have a elongated PR interval, that could mean that you have heart block, which I talked about these previously in one of my heart block episodes. I think that was literally a year ago when I did that episode. So if you want to go back to back to my old episodes and look that one up, you can. And if you don't and you just want to stop listening again, just do whatever you want. I can't tell you what to do. I'm not your mom. So the next thing that you do is you determine the axis, and this gets this is very confusing, but basically you look at leads 1 and 2, which is different from leads V1 and V2, and you look at the QRS, and if they're both pointing up, then that means that the axis is good. And what the axis is basically describing 
is the direction that the heart is depolarizing. So the the wave of electrical depolarization along the heart is going in the right direction. So the next thing that you do is you determine the duration of the QRS complex. And so basically that's kind of the same as determining the interval between the P wave and the R wave. Sounds like I'm talking about algebra, but so you count the squares in between the Q and the S and you multiply it by 0.04, a normal QRS is between 0.06 and 0.1 seconds. Next, you evaluate the T waves. So you have P, QRS, T. T is at the end. Are the T waves present? Are they normal shape? So uh, sort of the classic hyperkalemia, you'll have peaked T waves or sort of pointed T waves. And if you have hypokalemia, you can have sort of inverted T waves or U-shaped T waves. Next, you find the interval between the Q and the T, count the number of squares, multiply it by 0.04. Normal is between 0.36 and 0.44 seconds. And uh, like the classic bad thing you never want to miss is the prolonged QT interval can lead to what's called torsades. I think it's originally French. It stands for like torsades de point, which just means, and I don't speak French, so... I don't, I don't even, I think this is French, but it basically means twisting of the points. And that's just what a description of what the EKG looks like. And it's just a sort of squiggly line that gets larger and then gets smaller. And uh, that's a bad, bad thing that you don't want to happen. So if there's a prolonged QT interval, you want to be careful about that. And I think you can treat it with sodium bicarb and magnesium. So that's just one of those things that you kind of check when you're looking at the EKG. And then the last part is a big important part and you kind of just look for other components. It's sort of like when you're evaluating an x-ray, there's a A, B, C, D, E method and the E stands for everything else, which could be a billion different things. But with uh, EKGs, particularly in the instance of the one that the resident was asking me to interpret, we were looking for T waves or elevated T waves which that sort of points to a uh, heart attack or a myocardial infarction. So there's a lot of other things that you can look for, and EKGs can are very complicated, and there's a lot more to them than this simple sort of breakdown that I've done. Ob obviously, there's literally books written on interpreting EKGs. There are literal cardiologists that specify in EKGs, basically. So there's a lot to it. It's very complicated, but it is an incredibly useful tool that is very minimally invasive. I mean, basically you just put stickers on people, stickers attached to wires. There's no sticking them with needles or cutting people open. And it's you're not exposing them to any uh, excess radiation. So it's an excellent way for us to get a picture of the patient's heart. And it's actually pretty cool. Some people's Apple watches will have an, it's like basically a one lead EKG. I don't know how it works. I can't, I cannot pretend to know how well that works. And I've heard, I've heard good things about it, but I don't know if it's necessary for every single person. Now, obviously, in order to correctly read an EKG, you also have to know the common problems. And that's something that I'm working on right now. Obviously, like I said, for step two, the heart block was one that was very common. Myocardial infarctions were also pretty common. Step one, you focus a little bit more on localizing where the infarct is based on which leads have the ST segment elevation. But we're not going to get into that today. 
that's pretty much everything for today's episode. It's a little bit of a shorter episode. I kind of prevented myself from rambling as much as I normally do because this is talking about things that are actually real. And I want to make sure I'm saying roughly the correct things and I can just wander around and talk like I'm doing now and get lost. I did want to say one more thing. So I do get a medical journal that's supposed to come every two weeks, but I found out that the address was wrong on my account. So I just randomly got one and I was like, oh yeah, I had been reading them online, but I forgot that I also had gotten or was supposed to get a print version. So today I got the paper version and I was looking at it and they have a study or a summary of a study about the SGLT2 inhibitors. And they basically just kind of summarize what I had gone over in a couple episodes ago. I'm not, I need to check to make sure this is the same study that I had read, but it f- made me feel like I actually knew something because I think this is a issue is for October 1st and I had kind of gone over that couple weeks ago obviously i'm not in the forefront of medical technology discussing the efficacy of sglt2 inhibitors in patients with heart failure and with preserved ejection fraction a lot a lot a lot you know i had been asked by my father to ask the nephrologist about this specific medication and then he had given me the exact article that the nephrologists were sort of saying oh this is very useful But it was kind of cool because I was like, oh, look, I actually know this or I don't actually, you know, I actually know this before I read this article, which is really rare because the amount of medical journals that come out every single day is absolutely insane. There is so much information out there that it is impossible to know one tenth of it, one one hundredth of it. So it was kind of cool to see that and be like, oh, look, I, I read this or I'm familiar with this thing right here. Anyway, I have plans to review the game Outward with my freshman year roommate, Luke. We're kind of been playing it again to sort of get ourselves familiar with it. And then I'm typing up a whole thing and we're going to have a lively discussion about why everyone should play this game. Other than that, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, you can email me at maximumpodcast at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined and this podcast doesn't hurt your ears, if you listen to my podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave me a review.